This I Work For Him podcast is brought to you by the Pocket Testament League. Visit ptl.org for practical resources and encouragement to help you share your faith. ptl.org. Hey, welcome to I Work For Him. We're so glad that you tuned in from all over Tampa Bay, all over Jacksonville and the First Coast, and all over the Hampton Roads, Virginia area. Thanks so much for tuning in. We're glad that you've tuned in. Today, we are going to do a, we're going to play a speech that I gave at First Baptist Church of Newport Ritchie a few weeks back. I had the privilege of speaking to a Wingman Nation event several weeks back, and I wanted to share the speech that I gave with all of you, our I Work For Him audience. Wingman is a men's ministry for churches all over the United States. I'd love for you to check it out online at wingmannation.com. That's wingmannation.com. It was a lot of fun. I think, you know, I got a little excited a few times, but I'm excited for you to hear this speech. So stay tuned. Here we go. Speaking of halftime, I do have several copies that I'm going to give away here at the end. If you, uh, there's a bowl back there on my table. And if you can, there's post-it notes for those of you who don't have business cards, but you can put your name in the, in the bowl if you'd like to read that. It is not just for middle-aged people. I read that book at 37 but I, I, I get ahead of myself. I, my name is Jim Brangenberg. I host a radio program five days a week here in Tampa Bay on AM 570 and 910 and in Lakeland, FM 102.1. We're also in Jacksonville. We're also in uh, uh, Coastal Virginia, the Hampton Roads area of Virginia. As I was told, it's not Coastal Virginia, it's Hampton Roads. And I'm never going to say Norfolk the way they want you to say it because I'm afraid I'm going to say something naughty. So... I want to share some of my story tonight, but I want to echo a couple of things that Pastor Jay just said. You know, evangelism, it is so important, but what has been missed for so many years, when you, I, I want you all to think back to the, to, uh, let's say a couple thousand years ago, the early church, after Jesus rose from the dead, took off to heaven and left the 11 disciples behind, something miraculous happened. The power of the Holy Spirit came into those guys, and the next 300 years they changed they, they they overtook the roman empire without ever firing a shot no they didn't have guns without ever drawing a sword or a dagger they turned the roman empire upside down what did they do then that we're missing now because people we live in the roman empire of today but what did they do what was different we're going to talk a little bit about that today because as Pastor J just said, you know, it's great to be a man of integrity. But I'm telling you this, I know complete all-out unbelievers who are people of integrity. Being a person of integrity is not a, a harbinger. It, it is not, that's not like a sign that says, I'm a Jesus follower because I've got integrity. I know a lot of good people that have integrity. Being a Jesus follower means a whole lot more. Having integrity didn't overturn the Roman Empire, and it's not going to save our country. It takes more than that. And I want to offer Pastor Jay a suggestion. Instead of calling people old, I will tell you that every man in this room needs somebody chronologically superior to them to invest in their life. Chronologically superior. It takes away a little of that sting of being old because my kids tell me I'm old, but some of you are older no but you're chronologically superior but what pastor jay said i i just got to echo this because this country's in trouble and why is it in trouble because of the destruction of the family why is there the destruction of the family and, and this isn't anything i planned on talking about by the way but i just want to echo some of the things he said 
The destruction of the family started 50 years ago when we started a sexual revolution. Free sex and free love. What did it do? It destroyed the family. That destroyed men. Now you get men grown up without fathers. Men grown up without fathers don't know how to be a father. And now divorce is somewhere in that, depending on whether you're a Christ follower or not, somewhere between 25 and 45%. So you got kids who don't even know what it looks like to have a father. Or they were abused by a father. I mean, all these horrible things. But we serve a risen Savior. And we serve Jesus, who gave us an incredible example of what that looks like to love people who are hurting. I mean, the, the most incredible, this is my opinion, and I don't have a theological degree, but the most incredible conversation that Jesus had was with the woman at the well. Because every one of us needs to be looking for the woman at the well every day. Because the woman at the well had been married five times, was living with the sixth guy, and she was a half-breed. People didn't even talk to her. First of all, men didn't talk to women, and they certainly didn't talk to Samaritans. 2,000 years ago, she'd been married five times. There's probably one or two guys in here that's been married five times. But it's still not the norm today, 2,000 years ago. But what did Jesus do to that woman? And what did he train his disciples to do to people like her that overtook the Roman Empire and caused Constantine to say, everybody should be a Jesus follower? And that was led to the downfall. Because we created religion, and that is a disaster. Okay. That's just a little soapbox. I'm a radio guy, so I could do stuff like that. The name of the radio show is I Work For Him. And I got a little story to go along with that. And I know they said I only had 30 minutes, but now my 30 minutes starts because I forgot to start my timer. And they started late, so that's okay. So it, it should go now. I'll try not to go over. I was just like many of you. I grew up in church. I, call, I tell people I had a drug problem when I was a kid. My parents drug me to church three days a week. But my dad was not a Jesus follower, but he let my mom drag me to church. So we moved to Minnesota when I was eight years old. <clears throat> you think it's funny. It was 40 degrees below zero on Wednesday, and it's going to be 40 degrees above zero tomorrow. That's beautiful when you think about that. That's 80 degrees. The other day it was 98 degrees difference between here and where my oldest daughter lives. That was awesome. It is so fun to make those phone calls. How many of you enjoy making those phone calls to people up north and saying, you know, it's 90 degrees warmer down here? I, I love, those are the most satisfying phone calls to make. I don't know. It just, it seems wrong, but it's, I think it's right. Jesus did that. It's okay. But he created the weather is what I mean. He didn't make those phone calls. All right, so I grew up in church. And I got introduced to Jesus as a six-year-old, but we moved to Minnesota, and I moved right in the middle of an environment that was anti-Jesus. Minnesota's full of Catholics and Lutherans, and all of them go to church, because that's what they did, but none of them were impacted by who Jesus was. And I lived in a neighborhood where that just wasn't cool to go to church three days a week, and I was the Baptist kid, like one of five, I think, in a town of 20,000. And I'm not kidding. Seriously. If you weren't Lutheran or Catholic, people were like, what? what does that Baptist word mean? And then we went to an evangelical free church. And like, does that mean they don't take offering? So I grew up in, I grew up in the Midwest and, and I just, I ran the other direction. But at 13, the Lord rescued me. He chased after me, just like the example of Jesus in, in the prodigal son. He ran after me and I was rescued as a 13 year old. And it's a good thing because my life was heading in the wrong direction. And I, and I made a commitment on July the 13th, 1979 to full-time Christian ministry. But at that point in time, of course, what did you think? In my mind, what was I going to do? I was either going to go be a pastor or a missionary. Right. Wow. I just wish I knew then what I know now. Because those weren't my only two options. 
But so when I graduated from high school, I got a four-year degree. My brother already was in seminary, so he said, Jim, get a regular four-year degree. So I have, a, I have an IT background, a programming background. Those of you that are pro- how many of you in here are programmers? How many of you think, look at me and think I'm like a typical programmer? I have a programming degree because a Christian guy invested his life in me and said, you should be a programmer. So I have a programming degree. And then I enrolled to go to seminary because I made a commitment to full-time ministry. And I enrolled in seminary. And the pastor of the senior pastor of our church came to me and go, Tim, you could never be the pastor of a church. You could never handle having 400 bosses. Or in your spot, Pastor Jay, how many bosses do you have here? 4,000? Not that many? A couple thousand? 1,200 bosses. I couldn't handle that either. So I tried, and they, so I dropped out of seminary, and I went back, and I was an entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur since I was eight years old. I started selling door-to-door greeting cards as an eight-year-old. Then I sold golf balls that I got out of the golf ball, the golf ponds. Uh, in Minnesota, you could do that because we don't have alligators up there. And, and I sold those, and then I, 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 I shoveled driveways. I had a business. I shoveled driveways, mowing lots. I mean, I was always an entrepreneur. And so I figured, well, I'll just go be in business. And so I started an insurance degree, and then I tried to go back into seminary again to be a youth pastor because we were doing youth ministry. And the second senior pastor of a different church came to me and said, Jim, you can't handle having 400 bosses. And I'm going, but I made a commitment to full-time Christian ministry. There's a point to this, by the way. About five years later, my wife got sick, and the doctors told us, you can either move to Florida now, and your kids will be Floridians, or you can move to Florida later, and your kids will be visitors, but you need to f- move to Florida because you're sick, and the only thing that's going to solve you is getting away from the cold. By the way, it's cold in Minnesota. Some of you have noticed that on the news. And my wife, I chronic, she had chronic sinus infections all the time. So she was sick, and when you're at the altar, you say for better or for in, in sickness and in, you know, those things. And so I got the sickness and the worst part. I'm like, and worse is like moving from Minnesota where you never have to worry about how many clothes you can put on in Florida where you can only take off so many. So we moved from Minnesota to Florida and, by, or from, and Florida's a different culture in case you wondered. It's a little different. It was a big shock on my system. Still a shock on my system. And there's like six people who live in Minnesota and down here there's 60 million. And they did you realize that last year 195 million people visited Florida? Have you ever wonder why our highways are crazy? None of those people know how to drive when they come here to visit. Again, an aside. So I, we moved to Florida, and I'm like, Lord, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I, because we sold our insurance agency. We sold our used car dealership. Selling cars in Florida did not look like a safe thing because everybody wants to do buy here, pay here. Not a good thing for Jesus followers to sell people cars worth this much money, but selling them for $5,000 more and then charge them 30% interest. I took Crown Financial Ministries. You can't do that kind of thing. So I'm like, what am I going to do? I kind of on my own like midlife crisis, but I was 37 years old and a buddy of mine walks over to me and in January of 04 gives me a book called Halftime. And I read this book and it says, you know, most of us pursue success, but yet we never reach it because it's elusive. But you can pursue significance in your success and you can, you can actually see some... God can use you in your work. It was the first time I'd ever heard that my work mattered to God. It was the first time that anybody ever said you didn't have to be a pastor or a missionary to be significant in the kingdom. 37! I've been in church for 37 years and I've heard that sermon. And you know what? I'm 52 now. I've only heard one four-week series. That's a problem, by the way. So I read book halftime and I said, Lord, I'm, I'm not going to buy an insurance agency. I don't want to go $2 million in debt. I want to pursue you and what you're doing. I want to pursue significance. I don't know what that looks like, but that was a dangerous prayer because I said, Lord, whatever you want, 
And then he took the next 10 years and weeded out of my life the things that I was addicted to. I loved the insurance world. I loved the used car world. I really did. I know that sounds sick to you, but I really loved selling used cars. I never, I got one back in 15 years because I, I, I fixed stuff. So I'm like, Lord, what am I going to do? Then somebody gives me Francis Chan's book in 2009 that was all about uh, the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a Baptist church. You know what's funny? They don't talk about the Holy Spirit very often. Yet Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. In fact, the scriptures talk about the Holy Spirit. In fact, from one cover to the back, front to the back, they talk about the power of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. I never had heard that before. And I said, as I read this book, I'm like, wow, cool. You mean we're supposed to have the... And Jesus said it. He said, I'm going to send the counselor, and you're going to do the things I've done. In fact, you're going to do greater things that I've done. How many of you have heard that sermon? How many of you have ever heard the sermon of about Jesus' reputation in the marketplace. How many of you have ever heard the sermon about Jesus is, you know, working as an entrepreneur? Yeah, see, that's, that's part of the... We got some, we got some stuff we got to work on here in the church. Because Jesus worked in an entrepreneurial family and was an entrepreneur until he became an itinerant preacher. He did most of his preaching in the marketplace. Those are things nobody ever told me. I kept thinking I was a second-class citizen in the kingdom because I wasn't a pastor or a missionary. But it's not true, is it? It's not true. Some of you aren't sure whether it's true or not. You're going, who brought this guy in? Did they pay him anything? I hope not. I got steak. Dave said I get steak. That's my payment for tonight. That was good steak. Was the guy in here that actually seasoned the steak? That was unbelievable that you could cook... 150 steaks, and they all tasted that good? Very, very nicely done. I'm impressed. Clearly not from Minnesota, because those have all been hockey pucks if you've been from Minnesota. Okay, so I read this book by Francis Chan, and it says, if you're successful using your natural gifts, talents, and abilities, then when you're successful, you get the credit. But if God uses you to do something that's totally unexplainable from your natural gifts, talents, and abilities, then God gets the credit. And I said, Lord, that's the job I want. I want a job where nobody could ever say, well, that's just Jim. And so, about three years later, I've been studying this whole thing called faith and work for a number of years, from 2006 going forward, and understand, this understanding that my work really mattered to God. And, and as I was getting to 2012, I said, Lord, I could see how I could help four or five Christian business guys at a time. That was the night, November 20th, 2012, I got the name I work for him. Seems pretty normal. You know, who do you work for? I work for him. Look at this. Who do you work for, really? I work for him. That seems like a normal thing. I never heard that before. And I'm not a marketing person. God gave me that name, and I said that night, Lord, I see how I can mentor four or five Christian business guys to really live out their faith in their work, but... How do you challenge thousands of people at a time? 90 days later, I was speaking at a little teeny event right before we launched the Christian Chamber of Commerce in Tampa Bay about five ways to incorporate your faith in the workplace. I sat down in the, in the room next to the only person I didn't know, and she says, Jim, you need to talk about it on that radio. People need to hear that. And I'm like, you're crazy. She goes, no, I'm serious. I said, no, I'm serious. You're crazy. Make a long story short, she owned a radio station. She goes, Jim, you need to talk about that on the radio. So we got, we, my, my wife and I go have dinner with her, and she says, it costs $200 an hour to be on the radio. I said, you said you wanted me to talk on the radio. You didn't say you wanted a check. <laughs> Ministry people. Oh. So 
I'm walking out of the restaurant telling my wife, no, 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 no. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I said, but I prayed for a life of significance where my success could never be attributed to me, my natural gifts, talents, abilities. And I prayed for a way to challenge thousands of people. That's the answer to prayer. It's freaky. We went on in the air, April 2013. Never been on the radio before. Never been in a radio station before. Never had ever thought of being on the radio. First couple of weeks, we just went on one day a week to start with. Now we're on five days a week. One day, first couple of weeks, I thought I was going to be the next great Christian, Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> He's incredible that a guy can monologue for three hours straight with a, without a breath. There's nobody like Rush Limbaugh. And you may or may not agree with his politics, but I'm telling you, there's not another radio talk show host in the country that can do what Rush Limbaugh does. Everybody else has to have guests like me. So the third week, a buddy of mine said, Jim, whew, pretty rough. Try just interviewing people and capturing their stories of how they're living out their faith and their work. And so I started doing that five and a half years ago, and we've now done about 1,250 shows around five days a week in nine different stations. But it's not about us. What's, what's been amazing is that God's raising up people to understand that your work matters to him and how you work matters to him. In fact, go back to what I said at the beginning. How, what happened in the early church that transformed the Roman Empire? Was it a bunch of really great preachers? No. There was a, Paul was a pretty good guy, wrote a lot of great letters. But they didn't have big stadiums back then. They, the big stadium they had wasn't really a preaching platform. It was more a slaughterhouse they had some these things called games. They were really not fun. What they did is the early church lived out their faith no matter where they went. Jesus was so vibrant in their lives that the power of the Holy Spirit benefited everybody around them whether they believed in Jesus or not. That's the kingdom. In fact, we're supposed to be, you know, the light on the hill. A city a hill that cannot be hidden, a light not put under a bowl. We're supposed to impact everybody, but I'm running out of time. Going back to this whole point, our work. So we went on the air, and I started capturing stories, and I started seeing that across the country, from one end to the other, whether it's liberal or conservative, Jesus is raising up people that understand that their work really matters to him, and that if they own a business, they're actually a pastor in their business. If they're a manager, they're actually a pastor to the people that report to them. That every workplace is a mission field. And in that mission field, you and me, we may be the only Jesus our co-workers, our employees may ever meet. In fact, that job that you hold, the work that you do, the people that you work with, none of that's by chance. The people that you work with need to meet Jesus. And you may be their only chance. But here's the deal. So many of us have been told that we can't share our faith in our workplace because it's illegal. That's a lie. Did you know this speech is protected by the Constitution? As much as they'd like to tell you that you can't have free speech. In fact, if you're a government worker, you're actually protected better than if you work for a private sector company. But that, you just have to listen to some shows. We've talked about it many, many times. We have the freedom. Again, if you're really following Jesus and the Holy Spirit's living in you, your faith should be so incredible, it should be impacted other people by your behavior, and they would just be begging, just like, tell me, tell me what is different about you. And if people aren't saying that about you, what's wrong with you? I mean, 
everybody that met Jesus in the New Testament, their lives were never the same again. They were either all in like Zacchaeus or they were all out like the rich young ruler. But they were all one way or the other. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Why do I follow Jesus all in? Because he changed my life. He gave me purpose. Not just a heavenly home. Yes, I'm a future resident. I'm already a resident of the new Jerusalem. But he said that he came that we might have life and live it to the fullest. Yet so many of us get caught up in the bog down. It's like, oh, I got my job. Then I got outside my job. So I want to give you very quickly, before they throw tomatoes at me, I want to give you very quickly the answer to the question on what happened in the early church that transformed the Roman Empire, that really spread the gospel of Jesus Christ across the globe. What happened there? Versus what's wrong today. Because here's personally opinion. I believe that Christians are the problem with this country. But I believe that Jesus followers are the answer to the problems of this country. Too many people don't even know what it means to be a Christian anymore. But they'd be like, well, I'm a Christian. It's like this word. I don't even use that word on the air anymore. Because it doesn't mean anything. I'm a Jesus follower. What does that mean? Well, that means you follow Jesus. Right. And so if I follow Jesus, what should my life look like? Yeah, some of you are still not sure. Okay. You didn't find Jesus. Yeah, a lot of people say, well, I found Jesus. Like, no, he wasn't lost. You were lost. He found you. He chased you. And when it starts to impact your work, all of a sudden our world starts to change. Because how many of you spend more time at work? Now, I know some of you in here are chronologically superior, so therefore you're, you're doing this thing. You're doing this thing like Mickey said he's going to do what? Yeah. Show me that scripture. How many of you in here are Levitical priests? How many of you are in here are Levitical priests? Who's the guy in here that's the closest to the Levitical priests tonight? Right there, the guy that did the barbecue. Because you know God loves barbecue. He, pleasing aroma. God is all about the barbecue. That is not sacrilegious. If you don't know what it says, you've got to read the scriptures because it's there. If you're not a Levitical priest, nothing about retirement for you. We're supposed to run to the race to the end. Now, retirement may be phase two, may look different, but we don't get to sit in our keisters and pick seashells on the shore and watch football all day long and go golf. You want to know what's wrong with our country? 10,000 baby boomers have been retiring for the last 15 years every day. And nobody told them that their life's supposed to have purpose in the second phase of life. We desperately need you chronologically superior people to invest in us, not as chronologically, chronologically superior. That's what wingman's all about. We desperately need it. If you're in a small group and everybody looks like you, get out of that small group and get in a group where young people are there and look at you like, Do you even know what an iPhone is? Yes, I know I don't. But you can fix it for me. That's why we have grandkids, to fix our iPhones. Okay. All right. So I did a little research. Here's here's what I came up with. This is what a Christian should look like in the workplace. Trustworthy, responsible, respectful, caring, diligent, integrity, fair, and full of courage. Oh, 
That's what they used to teach in school 100 years ago. That's what a good person looks like. That is not what Jesus called us to be. He called us to a whole different standard. That, I mean, just being a person of integrity, you know what? I know some all-out anti-Jesus people that I trust better than I would ever trust a Christian business person. I talk to people who are not Jesus followers all over the country, and they say, if, a Jesus, if somebody comes up to you and says, I'm a Christian, we should do business together, what do you do? And they're like, I run. That's the problem. That's what I'm saying. Christians are the problem with this country, but Jesus followers are the solution. So I came up with the seven costs of following Jesus. And these costs, this is what transformed the Roman Empire. And you better write it down fast. You all have inside of here, this is called a pocket testament, which I'll get to in a second. You have a sheet of paper. Because I had really cool sheets of paper. And it's really small, so for those of you that are chronologically superior and can't read small print, have the young person next to you take notes and you can copy later. But it has a one through a seven on there for you to catch these. Here's the seven costs I came up with for being a Jesus follower. And this is what changed the world 2,000 years ago. And this is what's going to change our country. Because there's still hope for our country. But we're running out of time. And it's Christians that are the problem. And it's Jesus followers that are the solution. So, cost number one. We have to give up our wrong thoughts. Jesus pounded people who were really worried about their actions. Like the Pharisees who said, you're whitewashed tombs. Hey, your religion better be better than that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. You, your religion better. Those guys were the most religious people in the world. But Jesus said, you've heard that it was said that if you murder somebody, there'll be judgment. But I tell you, if you're thinking evil thoughts in your head about somebody, you're facing judgment. That's the Jim paraphrase. I don't have it all memorized. He also said, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. There's something we don't talk about in church anymore. How many of you committed adultery in this class, in this room? There's people here. How many of you are addicted to pornography? There's people here. Those secret sins, the enemy loves that stuff. You know what the enemy hates? When it comes out. Because darkness can't shine in the light. When you bring it out in the light, that's when there's healing. And we got a bunch. Do you realize the numbers are 70% of men going to church are addicted to pornography and 50% of pastors? That's a big number. That's trouble. That's that secret stuff that destroys us from the inside out. Jesus said... You must not commit adultery. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in her heart, with her in his heart. Jesus was worried about thoughts. First cost, got to give up our wrong thoughts. We don't think about this very much. We think, ah, I'm good. I'm good. But no, inside you're screwed up. That stuff, there's healing for that. Jesus healed stuff like that. You don't think that Samaritan woman had problems with her thoughts? Five times she was married, living with the sixth guy. 2,000 years ago when they stoned people for stuff like that. Cost number two, we've got to give up our double lives. I was the perfect Monday morning atheist. I had a life on the weekends and a life at night where I was involved in ministry. When I went to work, I acted different. I treated people different. I was a business guy. In fact, the two deacons that discipled me when I was a kid, they told me, and I was a kid, 22 years old, that's what I'm saying, kids. So those of you that are that age, I'm not, that's not a criticism just chronologically superior to you. They told me this, church is church, 
Business is business. They have nothing to do with each other. So just make a lot of money and give it to the church. That's how I was discipled. Something wrong with that theology. But how many of you have acted that way? Church is church and work is work. And they don't have anything to do with each other. I mean, there's a book out there called Monday Morning Atheist. Phenomenal. Because how many of us just switch off our faith when we go to work? Just get the job done and we get out, we leave work. Then all of a sudden, things change. I had a woman that worked for me when I was 25. So as how screwed up I was. I was. She was a single mom. She needed help getting a car. I loved helping getting cars. I went out and I went out of my way to help her get a great deal on a car. And she goes, Jim, why are you helping me? I said, well, it's the right thing to do. She goes, but you're not nice at work. We got to stop the double life thing. If you're a different person, when you walk out these doors, are you really a Jesus follower? Because the power of the Holy Spirit of God is in there to wipe you clean, transform your life, and change your thinking. And if you still look like the guy that used to be before you met, before you found Jesus when he wasn't lost, maybe you're not really all in. I'm not questioning your salvation. You know what goes on in here and here. But a lot of people know God up here. They don't really know Jesus in here. Because the Roman Empire was transformed not by religious people. The Roman Empire was transformed by Jesus followers whose lives were so remarkably different, nobody could ignore them anymore. If you don't know know what I'm talking about, read the history books. It's crazy. All right, got to give up wrong thoughts, got to give up our double life. We got to give up unforgiveness. Too many Christ, too many Christians live with unforgiveness all their lives. Like, I'm not going to forgive them. They hurt me. They damaged me. They, you, know, they, you were abused as a kid. You were abused by your father. You were abused by whatever. You were beat up, made fun of, whatever it is. And so you walk around with this bitterness. No. Jesus followers, not an option. Not an option. Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your, your father will not forgive your sins. We've got to give up unforgiveness. It's a cost. Following Jesus, we have to give up unforgiveness. Fourth one is we have to give up damaged relationships. Too many of us have wrecked relationships, and we've just said, well, I know I don't get along with... Is anybody in here named Bob? Okay, so I don't get along with Bob. And so when Bob walks in the room, I walk the other direction. When Bob walks on the street, I make sure I'm on a different sidewalk. I have a problem with Bob. I have a damaged relationship because of something stupid I did or something stupid he did, and we just let it go. Jesus followers don't have an option. So if you're presenting, this is from Matthew 5, so if you're presenting, all of it is from the Sermon on the Mount. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave the sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person. That's your quiet time in the morning. When you're having your quiet time and God reminds you about Bob, you're like, okay. You close the book, you text Bob, Bob, can we have coffee? For me, it'd be Mountain Dew. And no, I've had none. This is just me. We don't have the option for damaged relationships. That's something we're called to repair. We don't. It, Paul, remember he had a problem with Mark? Mark deserted him on this first missionary journey? Who was Paul begging for by the time he was at the end of his life? Mark, because the relationship was fixed. We don't have the option. By the way, I, I just mentioned reading, scripture thing. You know what's sad? In this room, how many of you have a, own a Bible? How many of you own a Bible? 
How many of you just will never raise your hand? You refuse to raise your hand. It doesn't matter what it is. Okay. You all own a Bible. How many of you, and I don't want you to raise your hand because I want you to embarrass yourself. How many of you have actually read it from cover to cover more than a dozen times? Don't raise your hands. You can't get it the first time through, just in case you wonder. I'm like 35 times through. I still, I still run across things like, is that been there the whole time? That's unbelievable. Christians don't know what the scriptures say. Jesus followers do. How are you going to transform the world? How do you even know who Jesus is if you don't know who he is? And how do you know your heavenly father? People say, well, God in the Old Testament seems so different than the one of the new. Like, nah, if you read the whole thing, it's not. We don't know our scriptures anymore. You know what? You know who knows their scriptures? Muslims. They know their scriptures. They got to memorize from cover to cover. They put us to shame. They know, they know them all. Jews, they know their scriptures, cover to cover. Christians, oh, I got red letter, right in Bible. All right, we have to give up damaged relationships. Wow, I got two minutes left. We got to give up hoarding. How many of you are business people or were business people? How many of you were in business or you are in business today? Raise your hand so I can tell, please. Okay. Did you know that you've been blessed in your business? To own a business is a blessing. To be in business is a blessing. But you weren't blessed so that you could increase your status of living. You are blessed to increase your status of giving. The problem with Christians in this country today is they got a bunch of money and they kept it for themselves. In fact, the statistic in Tampa Bay is it's a $300 billion with a B of Christian frozen assets sitting in real estate and other ridiculous investments and not being put to work for the kingdom. Why? So they could give it to their kids and screw them up when they die. That is not... We've got to stop hoarding the stuff we've been given because we were given it to solve poverty. We were given it to bring, to solve the problem of unemployment in the urban environments. We were given it to solve whatever, but it's not for you. A car is a car. And in Florida, you know better than anybody else, it doesn't matter how fast your car is, you're still driving at 40 because there's somebody chronologically superior visiting from Ontario who doesn't know how to drive, sitting right in front of you. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. You can't take your money with you. Jesus called us to be generous in every part of our lives, not just with our cash, but with everything about us. I had the privilege to donate a kidney to a, a very good friend of mine in December. That is the greatest gift in the whole world, and it didn't cost me anything but a kidney. Didn't cost me any, didn't cost me any money. What a cool thing. I got a buddy who lives today because he has my kidney. How many of you got an extra kidney? All of you have an extra kidney. Well, maybe, maybe some of you that have done the same thing. We got to stop hoarding. Those are kingdom assets. They're not yours. You're stewards. You're not owners. We serve the almighty king. We work in a kingdom where the assets are liquid and we need to put them into action. And too many of you are sitting on your assets. That's what Christians do. Pastor, if you're ready, throw me out. You just let me know. We need to give up. Number six, cost. We need to give up worry. Jesus pounded this in the the Sermon on the Mount. So don't worry about these things. What will we eat? What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows your needs. Yeah, maybe if you're really generous, you're not going to get to drive that really cool car at 40 miles an hour that you really want to drive. You know what happened in the early, early church? Those people lived by faith. They didn't know where their next paycheck was going to come from. They didn't know where their next beating was going to come from. They just knew that they were saved by a miraculous God who decided to live amongst them and die and pay the price for their sins. And they were so moved by that sacrifice for them that they said they were all in serving them, no matter whether they were slave or free. And in all that they did, they didn't worry because they knew that God knew what they needed 
And when they were done living this short little time lifespan, they exited out of time to spend eternity with an incredibly loving Heavenly Father. How many of you have worried in the last week about money? Honestly, come on, people. I, I talk to the chronolo- chronologically superior people all the time who are worried that they don't have enough money to live till the end. Did you read the scriptures? Seriously, he knows what you need, but you don't need that new car. Okay, all right. We need to give up worry because Jesus followers don't worry. And the last thing, and I have so much more I would have loved to say, but I am no amount of time. We need to stop being in a hurry. We have to give up hurry. Dave, what did I say to you tonight? said, Jesus was always busy, but he was never in a hurry. Too many of us are so busy. You know, I mean, I don't know how many, I've been looking, I've been, but I don't know how many of you have been distracted by this evil device tonight. I mean, this is truly a, I mean, I, it's a spawn of Satan. Seriously, it is. Because it is more addictive than anything else in our lives. It's unbelievable. And we're so much in a hurry. We, we're, so, we, you know, we're sitting here having a conversation with someone, and it beeps through like, And so all of a sudden, the person we're talking to is second important to the person that just texted us. But we're so busy. We got soccer practice we got to take our kids to or our grandkids to. And then they got basketball and then they got gymnastics and got cheerleading. Well, we got to go over here. We got to do this. We got to... People, you know who created evening sport activities? It was not Jesus. The enemy wanted to destroy your family, so he created evening sport activities. If you want to question me, Go look at the devastation in the family since evening sport activities came to, came to be. Because it keeps families from having dinner around the dinner table, which is the most powerful spot in the house. And it pulls families in both directions because they have multiple kids. And so this one goes there and that one goes there. For what? So your kid can get a participation trophy. <sighs> That was not an attack on the millennials. It was not. Or maybe it was. All right. I've got a point to all this. We're called, we are called to a totally different standard. But if we lived according to that standard, and again, you're going, Jim, how in the world could I ever do that stuff? Here's the good news. The good news. Remember that? The good news. Gospel good news. Jesus didn't expect us to do this with our own power because if we weren't, we would be Christians. Jesus' followers rely on the power of the Holy Spirit that some of you have heard sermons on and some of you haven't. That power is what gives us the ability to be obedient like this. And when we screw up to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I love you, and start right over again right away. Don't rely on yourself. You can't do it. That's what Christians do. They rely on themselves. Jesus' followers rely on the Holy Spirit, which is why Jesus said, I got to go so he can come. Those are, again, a gym paraphrase. Let me just, I'm just going to, this is where I'm going to close. We've got in this room people as young as, I don't know, how old are you? 14? 13. 13 years old. All right, all the way up to significantly chronologically superior people. Those of you that are quote-unquote retired, sorry, you don't get there. You don't get to do it. All of you have something that, 13-year-olds need, that 35-year-olds need, and 40-year-olds need, and 50-year-olds need. Get off of the stands. Get out of the stands. Get back in the playing field. We desperately need you. If you want to know what changed the Roman Empire, it was because people invested in people. That's what wingman's all about, discipleship, mentoring. Find somebody younger than you and invest your life in them. Don't 
Do a Bible study with them. Walk with them. Live your life with them. Let them see you screw up and apologize. Let them see you do your checkbook. Did you know that young people don't balance their checkbooks? Did you know that? They figure as long as it says there's money in there, I'm good. Yes, I have, I have one millennial who I've now trained through mistakes. Even though I tried. I, but anyway, we, we, you guys are desperately needed, but we need to start investing. And, and the problem has been the last 50 years is through the demasculization of our society is you've been told that you're too dominant and you, we don't need you anymore. But Paul very eloquently said, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then at the bottom, after a really long paragraph, he says, and wives, submit to your husbands. Here's what I've learned. In 36, 36 years of knowing my wife, 32 years of being married, is that if I love my wife like Christ loved the church, she has no problem submitting to my leadership because I'm loving her sacrificially, not dominating her. Do you know I never heard a sermon on that verse growing up? I only heard the submission sermon. But if we want to transform our world, us men, and we could do it, you guys could... You already live in Pasco County for the most part. This, is, this county is so unusual. There's so much incredible Jesus-following activity going on in this county. I mean, it pales in comparison. Every other county around here pales in comparison to what's going on in Pasco County. But it's still lost, just so you know. You guys, are you, are you following Christianity or are you following Jesus? Because if you're going to follow Jesus, your life will never be the same again. And if you're not sure if you're following Jesus... It's a simple word called surrender. Recognizing that on your own, you're a screw-up. But with God, you can do greater things than Jesus did because that's what he said. And it should impact everything about us, especially our work. I gave every one of you one of these. You know, Pastor Jay was so good at talking about evangelism, but so many of us, we don't, we don't even, we're freaked out about it. So this is called a pocket testament. It is the book of John, which is the most powerful book to ever have anybody read. By the way, when you get non-believers to read scripture, it is, it is freakily scary to them, but God does amazing things when people read his word. This is the book of John. We have them customized. You can get them customized for your own business, but just say, hey, you want to know who Jesus really is? Just read this book. So I gave every one of you, give these away. Do not bring this home and put it on your nightstand. Put it in your pocket which is what young Miss Cadbury, yes, the chocolate Cadbury, did 125 years ago, and now over 10 million of these have been handed out in 160 languages across the globe. This is the greatest evangelism tool. You never have to know what to say beyond, here's what Jesus did in my life, and read his words for yourself. Guess what kicks in? The Holy Spirit kicks in. You don't have to worry about all that other stuff. Take this with you. This will transform. And, and you sit in a table with no other people, take them all. You can have them all. I want to thank you for letting me rant and rave up here. Uh, this, you guys need to know, you are so significant. We desperately need you. For those of you chronologically superior, please hand in your grandstand ticket and put on the playing jacket and get back out in the field. We desperately need you. Hey, thanks for listening to I Work For Him today. I hope you had a fun time listening to the speech that I recently gave at this Wingman Nation event. I had a great time. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. You've been listening to I Work For Him Radio with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower. My workplace is my mission field, but ultimately, I work for him.